Welcome to Welcome to Progressive News Network and the Environmental Justice Report as well. This is Janine Moloff. I do the Justice Report on both shows. Today, we have the distinct pleasure of having noted legal scholar and civil rights advocate Marjorie Cohn to discuss a recent report, an international report on systemic racist police violence in the United States. Marjorie served as a rapporteur for the commission that was actually created by the United Nations. And it was created in response to requests made by families of those unjustly slain, or rather murdered, by police. The report is the final product of weeks of live hearings from those families in addition to a lengthy review of relevant documents. The United Nations report finds that this report on the state of U.S. policing uh, to be relevant and to be an important work. And the report finds that, yes, U.S., the United States, and the police forces here are guilty of crimes against humanity and other international law violations. So right now, we're waiting for Marjorie to come on board, and she just needs to call in. And I'm just going to give you a little background as we're waiting for her. Marjorie Cohn is a noted, as I said, noted legal scholar and advocate. Um, she was part of this international team to, that was tasked with investigating systemic racism and violence, police brutality, in our police forces here in the U.S. The final document was presented today, April 27, 2021, to the United Nations and to the public at large. And I see that Marjorie is with us right now. Let's see if I can... I'm going to, let's see. Marjorie, you there? I'm there. Hi, Janine. How oh, are you? Hi. I'm fine. I'm about, I'm just giving part of your introduction right now. You know, okay. you're just so well known as just a huge scholar. Uh, and the report was presented today in the International Commission of Inquiry on Systemic Racist Police Violence Against People of African Descent in the United States is the official title. This document is contributors from across the globe, and this is an important work. It's been needed to silence the mountain of lies coming from the far right and really document the truth about systemic racism uh, and systemic police brutality uh, where we see so many police-sponsored murders that just seemingly have no end in sight. Uh, your background is such, just for our audience, you're Professor Emerita at Thomas Jefferson School of Law, you taught there, according to your biography, from 91 to 2016. You're a former president of the National Lawyers Guild. You lecture, you write, you pretty much do everything. Uh, you've served as a news consultant for CBS News and a legal analyst for Court TV. You've been a legal and political commentator on the BBC, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. Well, we'll forgive you for Fox. Uh, <laughs> NPR and <laughs> Pacific. <laughs> I had to do it. One NPR time. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I understand. We'll forgive you this one time. NPR and Pacific Radio. Uh, you've authored some books. You authored a book titled Cowboy Republic, Six Ways the Bush Gang Has Defied the Law. You've co-authored another book with David Dow entitled Cameras in the Courtroom, 
Television, The Pursuit of Justice. And with Kathleen Gilbert, you authored Rules of Disengagement, The Politics and Honor of Military Dissent. Your editor and contributor to the United States in Torture, Interrogation, Incarceration, and Abuse, as well as Drones and Targeted Illegal Killing, Legal, Moral, and Geopolitical Issues. One of your books was cited actually in a U.S. Supreme Court opinion. Your articles have appeared in numerous journals, everything from the Fordham Law Review, Hastings Law Journal, Virginia, Virginia Journal of International Law, National Law Journal, and so on and so forth. You're a contributing editor to Juris, National Lawyers Guild Review. You've had columns appearing in HuffPost, Truth Out, Truth Day, Consortium News, Common Dreams, and so on. And, you know, frankly, we're just so happy to have you back on the show. You were here earlier. And you've on um, multiple boards of directors. I can go on and on, but I, I know your time is valuable. So we're just going to get straight into it. All right. So we have this report that was released today. And again, as I read the title, the title is quite long, but it's important. Um, and that is basically, uh, just I was just looking at it too. Good Lord. The International Commission of Inquiry on Systemic Racist Police Violence Against People of African Descent in the United States. And, you know, basically what I saw some good coverage today, but let's start with the very beginning, okay? How did this report come about? What, what was its origin? Well, the Commission of Inquiry was established in the wake of the public execution of George Floyd after millions mm -hmm. of people around the world protested his torture and execution by Derek Chauvin. And the families of Mr. Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Michael Brown, Philando Castile, joined 600 rights groups and petitioned the UN Human Rights Council to appoint a commission to investigate systemic racist police violence and human rights violations against people of African descent in the United States. But the Trump administration pressured the Human Rights Council and they backed down, but they, so they didn't establish that commission to investigate these human rights violations in the U.S., but they charged the High Commissioner of Human Rights with preparing a report about worldwide systemic racism and violation of international yeah. human rights by police. And so our commission said we're going to establish a commission and look at this problem in the United States and 12 commissioners judges lawyers professors and experts from every continent held public hearings from January 18th to February 6th and all of these cases um, selected were hearings involving the killings of and and one paralyzing of Jacob Blake mm -hmm. the killings of right of 43 people, unarmed people or people who pose no threat to the police or others. And in the hearings, the families of the victims testified, lawyers, community activists, um, the commissioners heard evidence from expert witnesses and examined the national data and came up with findings and recommendations. Mm. So, and that's very, very telling right now. Um, so this work's been truly needed to stem the tide, not only of police violence, but the tide of false narratives that we see coming from the far right. Um, and the report does call out the present state of police brutality and systemic racism. Um, in fact, today I saw coverage 
that was in the Guardian newspaper. Good coverage, too. Um, and basically, it was a piece by Ed Pilkington. And the headline was, quote, police killings of black Americans amount to crimes against humanity, international inquiry fines. Um, are you surprised that the, they came out with such a strong statement in the headline? No, I'm not, because one of the things that makes our report unique, and I should say that I served as one of four rapporteurs who actually drafted the report, which is my involvement in it. I'm not a commissioner. Um, But one of the unique things, in addition to bringing the voices of the victims, families, and community members and attorneys to the fore, is that we found, the commissioners found, that systemic racist police violence in the United States amounts to crimes against humanity that a a prima facie case, which means there is basically probable cause to believe that officials condoned and committed crimes against humanity um, based upon this systemic racist police violence. And that is a pursuant to a widespread or systematic attack directed against the black civilian population. And the crimes against humanity from the Rome Statute for the International Criminal Court are the crimes against humanity of murder, severe deprivation of liberty, torture, persecution of people of African descent in the United States, and inhumane treatment. And these are, we are asking the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court to open an investigation into possible crimes against humanity committed by and condoned by officials in the United States. Right, right. And and, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm listening to this, and I, I know that the United States, through both Democratic and Republican administrations, has refused time and time again to join and or submit to the International Criminal Court. So that given the case, and we, we don't know if the Biden administration will go, you know, will submit to it or not, um, if they don't, if the U.S. remains one of the nations that refuses to recognize the International Criminal Court, then how do we, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of, of uh, recommendations, but first of all, how do we get some of those recommendations to pass? How do we make some of this stick if the U.S. refuses to acknowledge the ICC? Well, there's a couple of issues here. The ICC is a criminal court, which means it brings individual leaders and officials to justice. And uh-huh. the ICC, the, the the Bush administration, actually took the U.S. signature off of the Rome Statute for the ICC, yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, and so so we don't we haven't signed it, we haven't ratified it, and one of our recommendations is that the Biden administration sign and ratify the treaty, and that takes two thirds of the Senate to agree to it, and I don't think that'll happen. But there is right. a provision in the Rome Statute for the United States, even though it's not a party to the Rome Statute, to accept jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court for purposes of this Crimes Against Humanity investigation. Now, failing that, there is another doctrine to hold people criminally liable for the systemic racist police violence, and that's called universal jurisdiction, where some crimes are so atrocious, including crimes against humanity, that any country can punish them, even if there's no direct relationship with that country, the Israel um, tried, convicted, mm-hmm. and 
and executed Adolf Eichmann for his crimes during the Holocaust, even though right. they had no direct connection with Israel. The U.S. has right. also used universal jurisdiction. But then beyond that, um, the report includes recommendations addressed to the executive branch of the U.S. and the con and Congress and state and local governments, as well as the High Commissioner of Human Rights, we are asking her to take our report and use it uh, as a basis for writing her report, um, and there are other recommendations as well. Right. I was, I was looking at the recommendations, and uh, for one thing, and we'll talk about the recommendations a bit now, the report details how police practices, particularly of stop and frisk and other pretextual stops, in other words, an excuse to stop somebody, was called out, uh, especially against blacks, as, quote, order, order maintenance. And that really, it, it dates back to the old slave patrols. And the report pointed out that these particular pretextual stops uh, have been granted an assist in recent years by the Supreme Court as a way around the Fourth Amendment. Could you comment on that and explain it to kind of a, an audience of lay people? Yes. The... Stop and frisk policy, which is lawful under Terry versus Ohio, a Supreme Court case, allows police um, to stop people and search them, do a frisk on less than probable cause. And this is an invitation to racial profiling. Um, there is also um, a, a case called Wren versus United States, where the Supreme Court, a unanimous Supreme Court, including the liberals on the Supreme Court, um, said that pretextual stops are okay for any minor traffic violation, even if the police officer is motivated by racism. And, uh, and so we also um, talked about that as well, um, these uh, pretextual stops. Uh, for example, Tavis Crane was one of the victims of a police mm -hmm. killing his little daughter through candy out the window, and the police oh, used God. that as a means to stop and ultimately kill him. And uh, mm -hmm. and then the stop and frisk, we have um, Eric Garner, we have George Floyd, right. minor offenses. Eric Garner, right. it was loose cigarettes, untaxed cigarettes. George Floyd, allegedly a $20, a counterfeit $20 bill. These minor offenses based on racism to stop them, hassle them, and ultimately kill them. Oh, God. Yeah, and, and it's, it's insane. Like, I saw one of the uh, cases, the case of Kayla Moore. Could you describe to our audience about that? Because it was particularly, you couldn't watch any part of the of the testimony from the families without just sitting there and crying. Could you describe what happened to Kayla Moore briefly? Is yes, Kayla that? Moore was killed in her own home during a mental health crisis. The police had an arrest warrant for another person with her name who was 20 years older. And they oh, tackled God. her, they suffocated her, and then as she lay on the floor with her skirt up, they made, and she stopped breathing, they made nasty comments about her sexual orientation. And Ooh. it was reprehensible. And one of the findings of the commission is that um, police violence against um, uh, police engaged in sexual and physical violence against black, cis, and transgender women. And right. uh, black women are uh, victims of police violence in disproportionate numbers, and Kayla Moore's case is an example of that. Yeah. And, and you know, once again, a, a request for a mental health assist shouldn't end in somebody's death. 
Um, and one of the things I noticed about that particular case is they put her in what's called a wrap, which was basically she suffocated. They, they hog-tied her, uh, and she was on her stomach, and she was pressed against, I think it was a mattress, and she, she suffocated. Yes, four police officers were on top of this woman. It, it was absolutely outrageous. And in terms of mental health crises, many of the cases that the commissioners heard involved people in in the middle of mental health crises where either they or family members had called for assistance. Not They didn't always call the police. They called, for example, there's a number 311 in some jurisdictions to ask for mental mm-hmm. health help. Um, and, uh, and you know, therapy and, and people who were trained, and yet the police came, overreacted, and very quickly killed many, many people. There was an example of the case of Daniel Prude, who was experiencing mm-hmm. mental health crisis. He was outside. It was cold. He was naked in the street. And they took him and smashed him down into the pavement and, uh, and, and killed him. And then, to add insult to injury, the police union and these police unions um, play roles to protect the police and cover up their wrongdoing and help them come up with false narratives. The police union got a copy of the body-worn camera video um, two days after Daniel Prude's murder, and the family of Daniel Prude didn't get that body, uh, body camera footage for six months, and they had to file several lawsuits to get it. Right, right. And I've, I've read about that before. Uh, I know here in, you know, in St. Louis during Ferguson, I mean, I was there, and um, the officer that killed Michael Brown talked about how police are allowed to really tamper with evidence. Um, he was allowed to go home, change his clothes, wash his clothes, and take a shower after a shooting so that any gunpowder residue would have been tampered with. And, exactly. and nothing happened. And, and again, if anybody else had done that, Tampering with evidence is a big problem, but they were allowed to do it. To do it, um, I'm just yes. One of the one of the findings of the commission is that um, mm-hmm. there is a pattern of cover-ups, obstruction of justice, manipulation, and destruction of evidence that provides impunity for police killings mm-hmm. against black people. And another example is the case of Henry Glover, where after the police illegally killed him, they burned the car with his body in it to try to cover it up. They were eventually charged, convicted, and later their convictions were overturned. And that's a theme mm-hmm. that runs throughout this report, Janine, which is the impunity right. that police officers enjoy. Derek Chauvin, who was convicted of second-degree, third-degree murder, second-degree murder, third-degree mm-hmm. murder, and second-degree manslaughter, was the exception to the rule, and that's because that young woman had a video of, you know, right. cell phone trained on uh, on what Chauvin was doing, torturing uh, George Floyd to death for nine minutes and 29 seconds. And if that had not gone viral and there hadn't been protests all over the world, chances are right. Derek Chauvin never would have been brought to justice in most officers are not charged when they are charged they're charged with minor offenses um right. and uh, and and they're often acquitted or their their convictions are overturned it's very rare that you see accountability for police 
killings, police violence, and there's also this blue coat of silence, the thin blue line, where their brethren cover up for them and uh, and don't blow the whistle on them. And we had three other officers helping Derek Chauvin squeeze the life out of George Floyd. The fourth officer, Tao, was, was standing guard and threatening the bystanders with mace if they went to Mr. Floyd's uh, assist, assistance. And so this uh, this blue coat of silence, plus the police unions, uh, plus the destruction of evidence and the, the culture of impunity, means that they can basically kill black people and get away with it, get away with murder. Now, I saw on, I saw in the report also that they mentioned how not only police officers and their unions, but that prosecutors as well, coroners, and what they call independent medical examiners were listed as, pos- as accomplices, quote, as accomplices in the service of impunity. And uh, it also mentioned how there was, quote, an absence of judicial review of prosecutors' virtually unfettered discretion. So what people realize, prosecutors have a lot of discretion. Uh, could you kind of speak to those two points in a way that, again, our audience can understand? Yes, the prosecutorial the prosecutorial discretion is virtually unfettered. Um, there is no review of that of of the decision by a prosecutor to bring charges or not to bring charges. And oftentimes, the prosecutors will not even bring a case to the grand jury and ask them for an indictment. Um, in about ninety five percent of the cases, prosecutors get what they want when they do bring cases to the grand jury. The grand jury is basically an aider and a better to to uh, this prosecutorial misconduct. And uh, in the cases, in the case of um, Michael Brown, um, the, there was a grand jury. The, the officer testified no cross-examination at all. Um, and also um, there is there is complicity between the prosecutor and the grand jury, but also um, between the prosecutor and and the, and the police unions, the police officials, mm-hmm. um, and the um, and the coroners sometimes who will. Uh, we had one case where it was an inexperienced uh, pathologist, and uh, there was mm-hmm. a police officer overseeing the autopsy and not even providing the medical examiner with the evidence of tasering and uh, and and you know the video. And uh, the the cause of death was cocaine uh, was uh, cocaine ingestion. There was trace trace amounts of cocaine. It was similar to, right. to what they tried in George Floyd. Right, um, right. So the medical examiner, examiners are complicit as well. Mm. And when you, when you think that the police are the investigative arm of the, of the prosecutors, of the district attorneys, etc., um, right. they protect them. The prosecutors protect the police officers. And so there yeah. is this complicity in covering up and and not bringing these officers to justice and we had several examples of that as well in the Tamir Rice case the 12 year old who was playing with a toy gun in the park um, there was also uh, no cross-examination of the police officer at the grand jury and so when you say that prosecutors have unfettered um, discretion so there's no criterion or anything for them how do we hold prosecutors accountable then if there's no criterion, if it's all just whatever mood they're in? I mean, how do we, what, how can we hold them accountable? Well, in, in most cities, prosecutors are, are elected. 
um, and mm-hmm. uh, they need to be defeated in the, in the in the next election. And people, com- the community, has to hold their feet to the fire. They respond to pressure the same way any political actor, and there are legal right. actors, but there are also political actors, respond to pressure. Sure. And uh, and that's really what happened with George Floyd. It was the power of the people, um, the mass yeah. protest. That and the the uh, courage of the 18 year old girl with the with the cell phone. Uh, it, right. Her battery didn't die, thank goodness, and uh, and that went viral. But it's it really takes pressure. They're not going to do it out of the goodness of their hearts, especially mm-hmm. because the theme running through all of this, uh, the investigation of the commission and the report, is racism systemic racism and it goes back to the the slave patrols um, where black people were controlled their bodies were controlled in fact um, you know very close to the beginning of the report um, we have a section called the genesis of systemic racist police violence and structural racism in the United States and we talk about the slave patrols as antecedents of modern policing from slave codes to black codes racism in the militarization of policing and you have under the 1033 program, the National Defense Authorization Act, tremendous amounts of military equipment that police departments have. I mean, they have tanks, they have assault weapons, they have all kinds of things um, that make them look like an invading army, and that has to stop as well. Yeah, it it, it does. You know, even here in in St. Louis with with Michael Brown's case, the Ferguson prosecutor in spite of worldwide pressure, he still the, the grand jury said no problem, and and that just shows you how the depth of the racism here is it's beyond belief. Um, there's a lot of different uh, recommendations here. Um, of all the recommendations, what would you say if you could name three your top three and why? Could you tell us what they are? Um, well, you're talking about recommendations addressed to the executive branch of the U.S. government. Um, one is to accept the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court. Another is to support the BREATHE Act, which is aimed at divesting federal resources from policing and investing in uh, non-punitive approaches to community safety, um, removing a qualified immunity, which lets officers mm-hmm. off the hook. Um, and right. prevents families from uh, getting compensation for their loss, and also um, demilitarizing the policing and outlawing the use of force except in conformity with international law, outlawing the excessive use of tasers, prohibiting no-knock warrants, which Breonna Taylor right. was a victim of, um, outlawing right. the use of force except in conformity with international law, which means that lethal force can only be used when absolutely necessary to protect against an imminent threat of death or great bodily injury. And there is no state in the country um, that uh, requires that the use of force be a last resort. And just one more thing, and that is in Minneapolis... Um, and and uh, George Floyd and Philando Castile were victims of this. Um, the police unions sponsor what's called killology training. They train officers to kill, not to de-escalate, but to kill uh, as you know, their first first line uh, of of action. And uh, that also has to stop. Yeah, and, and you know, 
one of the main themes throughout the media, especially corporate media, has been that well, the, with Derek Chauvin and some of these other cases, it's a case of a few bad apples. And this report clearly demonstrates it's not bad. It's not a few bad apples. It is systemic, and this is something that is it's it's a major theme. You know, the systemic racism is a major theme in policing in the United States. And, you know, again, how do we change that that dialogue? Because it's just, it's like talking to a wall. Well, that's why it's so important that things like this commission report um, educate people. And this is going to be widely distributed, not just to the U.N. and uh, and the U.S. government and the Congress, but also Mm -hmm. to activists to movement people, to people on the ground. It it, it includes not just findings from the 44 hearings that we conducted, but also Mm -hmm. facts and figures that bolster our findings about the fact that this is not just a few bad apples. The entire system is rotten. The entire system of policing uh, black bodies is, uh, is, is... is rife with racism, and this is not a new phenomenon. Right. This goes way yeah. back. It goes back to slavery. It goes back to the genocide of indigenous peoples and uh, and all the way through um, uh, after Reconstruction, Jim Crow, and it exists to this day. And we've seen that. We yeah. saw Donald Trump really unleash the dogs of racism that have always been there, but uh, basically right. ratify it, and it came out of the woodwork. Um, and uh, and a lot of what we're seeing in the national politics is steeped in racism, um, and yeah. uh, and you know not just policing, but the voter suppression. Forty three states are right. trying to pass laws or have passed laws um, to make to basically um, maintain this country as uh, as you know white people in power and keep black people right. down keep black people from from voting you know it's a crime to give people standing in line food or water in georgia right. and uh, this voter suppression is also a very very serious problem and that is also steeped in structural racism yeah it has we've done several shows on it actually so you know once again this is something that I I I read through the you know the summary at least and it it just turns your stomach. Um, so you know there's a lot of different recommendations and I, you know I'm looking through them and you know one of the things that the report said and this was a statement it wasn't a recommendation but it was a statement of fact that was so blatant and it was quote. Many black people are killed in broad daylight to intimidate communities and because officers don't fear accountability, end quote. And, and it's just so blatant. And, you know, once again, I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the present Congress whatsoever. Um, if we take some of these cases to court, especially Fourth Amendment cases, um, you know, you mentioned a, a, a decision where basically the entire court came on board. Um, given the present makeup of the SCOTUS, how do we how do we push this forward? I mean, it's oh. 
Yes. Kind of well, that, that yes, it is a problem. I mean, that was a court that was more evenly balanced, I guess you would say, right. politically. Um, the Wren case that legalized pretextual stops, um, and uh, and and it is a real problem, and that's where the power of the people comes in. Um, that's where it's so important that uh, we lobby and pressure the executive branch, the congressional branch, but also that people exercise their First Amendment rights and demonstrate and demand that this stop yeah. and demand accountability, and that's what happened after George Floyd's murder. And I just want to say another thing um, that, that, that we have in this report, and that is how racist police violence creates generational trauma for people of African right. descent. There was a case of Manuel Elijah Ellis, um, and a friend of the Ellis family, Ms. Jamika Scott, testified at one of our hearings, and she said, we're broken. Generations of us are emotionally tired. Our bodies are weathered, and it causes us physical illness. It causes us lifelong ailments and diseases. It causes us generational trauma that we are passing on. We are traumatized. We live in a constant state of PTSD. We are hypervigilant. We are fearful. We are anxious. We are depressed, and it tears holes in families and communities. It's not just one family. It's what happens to one family in this community. It happens to all of us, and it happens. It has lasting echoes throughout generations. It does. It does. Um, you know, I just want to thank you for coming on to the show, for being part of this incredibly important report. Um, we're going to continue to discuss this on multiple shows because it, it, the more we discuss it, the more action hopefully we can get. Um, you know, I, you know, you, you said it all basically. I, I know um, this is. I've got a quote here from Mariah Moore, sister of Kayla Moore, and I think it says it all. Quote, with six officers on top of her putting her in this torture device, do they realize at some point she had stopped moving? They failed to check on Kayla because her last breath, her last words were, get off me, I can't breathe. And they ignored her, her cries for help, end quote. I, I just, I, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything else you want to add? Yes, um, if people go to the Inquiry Commission, just, just Google Inquiry Commission, and that's the website mm -hmm. of, the, of the commission, and a copy of the report, a 188-page report, is on that website, mm -hmm. but you can click on various, there's a, there's a four-page right. uh, annotated table of contents. You can click on various sections that you might be interested in, and I urge people to read the report and use it. And we're going to be posting that also on our website so people can access it. Um, you know, once again, I just want to thank you so very much for, again, appearing on our, sh on our show. We love having you. You are brilliant and a breath of fresh air to a very sick government. So thank you so much, Marjorie. Thank you, Janine, for having me, and thank you for your great work. Oh, bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. So there we have it. That was Marjorie Cohn, noted legal expert. And, you know, once again, we're so grateful that she appeared on the show. Um, when uh, We're going to be posting, as I said before, the actual report itself where you can find it, that is. And when you look, and, and Marjorie, you know, she's so bright and, and 
a lot of things she talked about you have to sit and think about twice, but there were multiple recommendations that she covered them, but rather quickly, so I'm going to kind of go over them a little bit. So the findings and recommendations to the High Commissioner of the Human Rights Council, um, they go you know, basically quite down a long list, um, one of which is they mandated uh, they want to conduct a full investigation into police violence, into violent police incidents uh, against people of African descent in the U.S. and then to determine whether that particular level of violence against the black community constitutes gross, what they call, quote, gross violation of human rights and whether crimes under international law have been and continue to be committed, end quote. And they they have, okay? We're, you have to remember that when these studies, when they, when they pose these questions, they're going to answer the questions, too. It, it, it's they're not questioning whether or not this happened. We know it happened, but they still have to post it as a question and then present their evidence. And we know that, but this is, again, an academic legal report, and we know this has happened. They've also recommended that um, in order to establish basically a, a process that is ongoing that will monitor what they call systemic racist police violence in the U.S., they were request, They were demanding an appointment of an independent expert on systemic racist police violence in the U.S. And as Marjorie said, they called for the demilitarization of law enforcement, uh, and that means ending the 1033 program, which basically was me adding on that, which gives military-grade equipment to your local police department. In essence, um, Fallujah has arrived in the middle of Toledo, Ohio. And that's not hyperbole, it's, it's, it's the truth, and, and they don't need this, okay? Um, and they, you have to also remember, too, when I'm discussing these particular recommendations, 1033 program, which, again, gives military-grade equipment straight from the war zones to your local police department, that was actually created under the Clinton administration. So as much fun as it is to blame Trump for everything, this went across both party lines. Because apparently the black community and other communities of color aren't important to these politicians except during election day. So the, the report also called for, as Arne Marjorie said, an end to police, an end to impunity, a demand for police accountability, especially when racist violence and unjustified force occurs. And this accountability is called to accountability has to uh, appear before independent civilian review boards uh, and in criminal and civil proceedings in our justice system in the U.S. Now, we've, even after Ferguson, we talked about the need for independent civilian review boards. And a few popped up. They weren't particularly effective. And part of the problem is you have police unions, as Marjorie alluded to, that basically insist on writing contracts where police officers are above the law. That has to stop. Okay, it just does. Uh, another recommendation, the commissioners uh, said that the, uh, the call for the Office of the Prosecutor of the ICC or the International Criminal Court, quote, upon receipt of the report of the Commission of Inquiry to initiate an investigation into crimes against humanity, Article 7, pursuant to his or her powers under the Rome Statute, Article 15, end quote. 
okay, it's legalese, but it's basically saying we're not going to let these local people get away with this anymore. These are crimes against humanity. Um, you could argue, or rather I can argue, as a person, as a Jew who lost family in the Holocaust, blacks, the way they've been treated historically in this country is akin to the way Jews were treated in the lead-up to the Holocaust during and shortly after. Okay, the only difference in my opinion is that the Nazis were more efficient about it and murdered much more rapidly. That's all. I went there. Uh, another recommendation is that they call the executive branch, that means the president, to sign on to the jurisdiction and acknowledge the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court. Um, that would be, uh, as they put in the report here, quote, in relation to the U.S. under Article 12, with respect to any and all crimes against humanity as defined in the Rome Statute. Okay. And then it also says that they demand that we sign the Rome Statute of the ICC and send it to the U.S. Senate for ratification. Okay. Well, we know we're not going to get that right now. We're not going to get it from the Republicans, definitely. But there's also several Democrats that are too cowardly to sign on. If we had uh, a majority of members of the Senate that were progressives, that were squad members, we'd have a chance. But right now, no. Um, it also calls to remove what's called the non-self-executing language in the ratification of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and or pass full implementing legislation of this treaty, including the, I'm reading straight from it, direct quote, including provisions in Article 20, which prohibits propaganda for war and speech that promotes hatred of racial or religious groups or incites discrimination of violence, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, or incites discrimination or violence, against people of racial or religious groups. Um, it also calls for us to fully, quote, to fully enforce, uh, lost my place here, folks, fully enforce the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination and the Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman, or Degrading Treatment or Punishment, which the U.S. has ratified, end quote. It also urges that the U.S. ratify all the other international human rights treaties and regional treaties calls in the U.S. to support legislation that would, as Marjorie said, divest, in other words, take away federal resources from police departments and from our prisons and end the what they call the criminal legal system-driven harms that have disproportionately criminalized black and black, brown communities. I mean... This isn't hard to figure out, folks. As I said before, we will post um, we'll post the, the actual link where you can find the paper. Um, another recommendation is to, quote, create an effective and robust system of combating institutionalized racism within all law enforcement agencies to be monitored by an independently elected body in consultation with civil society organizations committed to principles of civil liberties and non-discrimination, end quote. 
it all makes perfect sense. Folks, this isn't a case of a few bad apples. It just isn't. That's an excuse. Make no mistake about it. And any of us who fail to be anti-racist and just turn a deaf ear and a blind eye, then you're complicit. You're just as complicit as Derek Chauvin. I'm sorry, there's no other way to put it. So the report goes on and on and on. Um, There's so many recommendations, I can't get through it all. Uh, One of the last recommendations, though, is that the commissioners, they recommend the U.S. executive and legislative branches acknowledge that the slave trade was not only a crime against humanity, but also a major core cause of other manifestations, they call it, of racism, racial discrimination, Afrophobia, xenophobia, and related intolerance. And it calls for reparations for past injustices and crimes against people of African descent. And the commission also recommends that the U.S. Congress establish a commission to examine not only the enslavement and racial discrimination in the colonies in the U.S., from 1619, but to the present, and again, recommend appropriate remedies. I want to say that here, in my home state of Missouri, they are pushing through a bill, the Republicans are, that will basically outlaw the teachings in our school, the teachings of the 1619 Project, or Howard Zinn's History of the United States, anything that mentions basically a, a narrative other than the nonsense we were learned that we learned in school. And districts and teachers that insist on teaching the truth about slavery, whether they use the sixteen nineteen project, Howard Zinn's history of the United States and so on and so forth, any district or or teacher under that act that does so, they will find their state funding yanked, at least in part. This is censorship. Make no mistake about it. And it is no different when the Nazis gave rise. Um, As I've said before, when you look at injustice, the black community in particular receives the worst treatment historically. And when you look at that, that same black community is the political canary in the coal mine. They just are. They're our early warning system because whatever happens to them will eventually happen to the rest of us if we get in the way. There was a case about a week ago, and an elderly woman, a white woman, she had dementia. She got confused, walked out of Walmart, forgot to pay. Uh, They stopped her at the door, and she offered her credit card. She was clearly confused. Uh, They refused to let her pay for it, and they took the goods away. Apparently, they called the police at this Walmart, and these officers followed her, and this woman was barely five feet tall. You can tell by the camera, the video that the police had, that she was incredibly confused, obviously had dementia. She was barely five feet tall and probably weighed, they said she weighed 80 pounds sopping wet. And it took two officers climbing on top of her to handcuff her. 
she didn't pose any danger. So once again, this isn't about training. It's not that our police need better training. Bigotry, racism, this type of fascism, this type of criminal violence isn't a function of not having had training. It's not a function of a lack of training. It's a function of a lack of humanity. It's a function of a lack of human decency. It's a function of a lack of mutual respect for your fellow human beings. We need to stop accepting these excuses. So we're going to be talking about this on EJR. And uh, also on Sunday, I I urge you to check our program out there. Um, We haven't ended this report, okay? We're going to be continually talking about this because if there's, Dr. King said it right, an injustice against one is an injustice against all. I thank you for tuning in, and with that, I say good night and God bless.